0: Hello, and welcome to FabGab. This is the podcast for the International Journal of Feminist Approaches to Bioethics, brought to you by Fab Network. My name is Catherine McKay, and today I'm joined by Amy Reed sandoval from the University of Las Vegas, Nevada. And we're talking about Amy's paper, Revisiting Relational Pandemic Ethics in Light of the COVID-19 Abortion Bans in the United States. And that's IJFAB, Volume 14, Number 1. Hello, Amy. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a really, really interesting paper and obviously very timely. And I wonder if you can just give the listeners um, an overview of what you discussed in this paper.
1: Sure. Uh, So so this paper is the result of um, an extensive period of ethnographic research that I did um, at a couple of abortion clinics in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, Albuquerque is a really, uh, has been a really important site for my research, uh, which is concerned with um, the experiences of pregnant people who have to travel long distances and cross uh, different types of borders um, in search of abortion care. Uh, And so Albuquerque, uh, which is home to two of uh, of only four physicians who regularly practice third trimester abortions in the United States. It's it's an important, in fact, a global destination for um, what I, in some of my work, call abortion migration. And so um, I had been uh, researching um, the experiences of uh, some pregnant women and people who had made their way to Albuquerque for abortions later in pregnancy. Uh, And then when the pandemic hit, um, I became uh, concerned about how how these sorts of narratives um, may have been impacted by uh, a a series of uh, closures of abortion clinics or different types of abortion bans uh, that occurred um, during the early days of the pandemic um, in the United States. So what had happened was a a series of uh, Republican governors had used the pandemic to further an anti-choice agenda uh, based on uh, the argument that abortion clinics were diverting uh, essential medical equipment from hospitals. And they were often using uh, kind of. With an ostensibly moral language of solidarity to justify this, references to the common good. And so who were being heard? Were well, people seeking abortion care? And so um, I, I turned to uh, feminist bioethics to try and make sense of this and also did a follow-up study. Um, you know, I, I interviewed some of the physicians that I've been working with, whose work I've been studying for years now about um, the ways in which um, their patients have been impacted by um, the, these, these increased burdens in terms of accessing abortion care.
0: Yeah, that is so interesting. And I mean, there were many things that I learned by reading your paper that I didn't know before. For example, I didn't realize that there were only four physicians who do third trimester abortions in the United States
1: yeah yeah i mean well some physicians will occasionally take on such a, a such case right at their discretion mm-hmm. um but really if, if if you find yourself in a situation in which you need an abortion um that that late in pregnancy um albuquerque is um, a very likely spot for, for for you to end up in um and given that um abortion a- access is so limited on a global scale e- even in in countries that kind of seem uh, kind of progressive and feminist and whose, whose governments seem comparatively progressive and, and feminist right right, Um, that there are these limitations. And so um, during my my first experience doing research there pre-COVID in the summer of 2017, I interacted with patients who had traveled from New Zealand, uh, Canada, different countries in Eastern and Western Europe, um, in addition to different parts of the United States. And so um, it's it's, it's, uh, kind of a, a local kind of Albuquerque issue in many ways. It's also kind of a global migration issue. And and of course, um, COVID politics in the United States, conservative COVID politics have have impacted uh, kind of reproductive healthcare
0: on a global scale as a result of this. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I really wanted to ask you about this use of um, the language of solidarity to promote that as you put it, the anti-choice agenda. So um, why don't you take us through some of the findings and the argument that you present in the paper on that? Because I find that really fascinating sure yes yes um so so
1: solidarity and kind of the, the, the work that i was uh, uh considering that the Bayless et alls paper that i that i cite in in the paper um was concerned with uh developing a relational pandemic ethics right and so and it, i'm very i, I find this work very intriguing as i discuss in the paper um so this idea that when we um, when governments engage in ethical pandemic, planning, they have to look beyond individualistic frameworks, right? So there are kind of individualistic uh, concerns, right? These concerns about, right, um, the extent to which um, pandemic mitigation efforts involve sacrifices of, of personal liberty right um d- d- different sorts of questions about um, vaccine dissemination but that's also a social justice issue of course um but but the idea here is that if we want to engage in sensible uh pandemic uh, sensible and, and ethical pandemic planning we have to think about people relationally and we have to think about existing patterns of social injustice and, and marginalization and we have to turn to different values that are going to help us achieve that and so one of and so the, the paper that i I'm exploring um, identifies uh, d- different types of values, but I focus in particular on the value of, uh, of solidarity that, that Bayless at um, all focus on. And this, this is the idea that um, we have to cultivate a civic spirit of solidarity and the common good to really kind of develop the, the willpower and the wherewithal to, uh, to get through a pandemic. And we have to kind of be, be attentive to our, our social fabrics and we have to find a way to, to be able to come together um, and, and, and plan together and help one another. And and certainly, you know, those who are following um, the, the way that the pandemic is playing out in the United States and I know elsewhere as well, but we're, we're, we're having lots of conversations right now about the breakdown of solidarity and notions of the common good and, and showing how social division can really undermine the abilities of of the state to, to mitigate a pandemic. And so I think this is incredibly important and it involves relational thinking. But what I was concerned about um, in in engaging this work in the early days of the pandemic was, again, how this notion of solidarity was actually being abused by by politicians. And of course, the authors that I cite um, are are, are opposed to this. Um, But 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 the idea here is that if you can make the case that, you know, um, certain types of medical equipment um, need to need to remain in hospitals right uh, to be treating COVID victims or kind of uh, people who are suffering with um, suffering from whatever kind of disease has um, inspired the pandemic. You know, saying that there's actually that actually kind of uh, that 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 abortion care um, is is diverting resources from from the common good. We see cases in which the language of solidarity and the common good is being used to uh, to erase the needs of a, of a marginalized social grou- uh, social group. And in this case, it's um, people who are seeking abortion care. And so that's why I really I wanted to focus in on on solidarity and and think. Of course, we need solidarity. But what are some alternative ways of approaching solidarity in 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 a framework for a pandemic? ethics that can help us kind of counteract uh, these forces that these forces that would abuse that notion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is sort of not on your last point, but what you were saying just prior to that, about the way that um, solidarity is being employed for these kind of alternate purposes. It strikes me that that's um, something that's happening To attack abortion rights in the United States in a lot of different ways, kind of noticing over the years that different sorts of arguments that originate in one place, particularly in feminist work or in critical race work, perhaps, or uh, disability rights work, is being imported and used to undermine Roe v. Wade and its, um, you know, the various state laws that instantiate Roe v. Wade at the state level.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And that that's been it's been very chilling to see that play out here in the United States and elsewhere with regard to um, abortion rights, with regard to efforts to teach critical race theory in, in schools. Right. Or even kind of talk about um, kind of the real history of, of the United States. And so I, I certainly found that very chilling and, 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 it, and it raises the question, well, how, you know, as feminists, um, how do we mitigate against this? And so um, I, I, I argue in the paper, I, I, I turn to Sally Schultz's work on solidarity, which is uh, very much a, a project-based solidarity, right? She talks about the solidarity that can, um, that can come about as a result of a shared commitment to a certain political goal. And, and I argue that in light of what we've seen play out uh, in the case of the COVID-19 abortion bans, we should build into our pandemic ethics some discussion of the ways in which these values can be abused, right, can uh, can be used for nefarious ends. And so I think that um, solidarity should, that we should also uh, support um, solidarity uh, when it comes to the efforts of marginalized groups and their allies to stand up against uh, ways in which the pandemic is being abused for um, anti-egalitarian social goals. And so, and so that's, that, that's the direction in which I argue that we should take the discussion in, in light of the way in which we've sadly recently seen this play out on the ground.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, if I could just sort of change pace for a second, I would really love to ask you about the process of doing the research. I think at a point in the paper, you actually note that you're a philosopher, but you did this field work. And, um, Because part of the reason behind the podcast and the journal, of course, is to help facilitate junior academics growing in their field. I wanted to ask you what it was like as a philosopher doing field work um, and whether or not you had any challenges in getting that going, conducting it.
1: Yeah, thank thank you for that that question, and I and I hope that I can say things that will um, inspire junior academics who might be interested in doing uh, philosophical field work to do so. Um, I, I'm certainly very passionate about it, and I've, I found it extraordinarily. Uh, worthwhile. Um, for, for for this project, I, I, I received a grant to support interdisciplinary collaboration, uh, an, an NIH grant. And so uh, I my, my first step was to convince a physician. Uh, so I, I worked with a physician in the, fa- the family planning division of the obstetrics uh, and, and gynecology uh, department at the University of New Mexico School of Medicine. I had to convince her to kind of take me on as a partner to do a to do some of this research. And of course, this, this was someone, um, Ramit Singh, uh, a wonderful physician who um, not only is uh, a practicing uh, physician at that time, she uh a practicing um, abortion provider, um, but also a, a professor, right uh, training, training people to do this work, moving into the future. And so, um I, I had the, the first challenge was to uh, share some of the benefits of doing philosophy or kind of make a case uh, for kind of get get getting philosophical work happening uh, in this space. And so fortunately, I was able to find a mentor and a collaborator who was kind of willing to take me on that journey. so so, so so, so to me as a philosopher, I'll talk about why I think it was beneficial to me and then also why I hope it was beneficial to um, non-philosophers doing some of this work. Um, As a a philosopher, um, particularly uh, someone who's interested in um, issues of abortion ethics, I found it to be extraordinarily, um, helpful to actually be in a space where I was able to see abortions happening. So I was, I was brought into a couple of abortion clinics, and that was the expectation for being in that kind of learning environment. I was shocked at first as a philosopher to be invited into that space, but I was able to uh, kind of see how abortions work, including abortions later in pregnancy in the second and third trimesters with their permission. I was able to interview some of the patients and the physicians, and it really drove home for me, um, the the fact that we just cannot have sensible and fair conversations about abortion if they're not linked to the stories of the people who are having them and I know that this gets said time and time again um by by feminists in in abortion in in abortion research right but there was something about being in that space and and hearing those stories that really um that that really made this come alive for me Um, because I confess that um I was interested in the experiences of pregnant people who had to cross borders for abortion care, but I was at the very beginning of the research, I was still a little bit uncomfortable with third trimester abortion. I'll, I'll be really honest about it. I knew as a feminist that I, that I needed to support it, but I had I, I had maybe just some personal misgivings that I didn't want to give voice to. But once I was in the space, I saw the procedures. I talked to the people who were having the procedure. I heard their stories. Um, the issue kind of... Ethically speaking, the issue became clarified for me in ways that I wouldn't have achieved if I just had kind of abstract debates about this. And of course, I learned so much about uh, border crossing for abortion care, which hadn't hadn't been written on to, to a great extent by social scientists. So I had to do the research myself. So it was incredibly informative and, and kind of transformed in many respects my, my, my vision of political philosophy and immigration ethics. That's how huge it was for me. Um... I hope that for the physicians that I worked with um, at, at the two different abortion clinics, I hope that the experience was also beneficial to them. I know that they, you know, um, abortion providers are vulnerable in many ways, um, particularly the, the, the few who are doing this work providing abortion care later in pregnancy. Um, and so, of, of course, um, you know, th- they have an interest in having this information get out into the public domain, right, and really kind of humanizing this process. But I, but I also found that um, often when I, when I was in um, the, these medical spaces, I often found that abortion doctors wanted to open up about different ethical challenges that they were encountering in their work that perhaps philosophers haven't yet anticipated. And there, there, there are things that, um, that kind of came. For, for example, I had a very philosophically kind of challenging and rich conversation with an abortion doctor who had just finished an abortion and was going through the process of making sure that she had found all of the fetal remains, right? Kind of, and and so this, right, this is um, kind of a very vivid process. And she was kind of going through it and started kind of opening up about, um, again, different challenges that she had faced and philosophical questions that she had. And so I think that being a philosopher in this space alongside the people who are doing this work at these incredibly important moments, I think that that can be be beneficial both ways. And it can show medical providers as well that there is a space to ask these kinds of questions and have these kinds of conversations. And so um, it it can be challenging to make the original case to do this work. But once you're able to get your foot in that door and kind of find a community of of people who are willing to work with you, I think it can be really transformative. And I would encourage junior academics to give it a try if they're interested in it.
0: Yeah, wow, that's so interesting. And that really does that experience sounds so important and really rich
1: thank you thank you i mean for, for and, and i think that often people don't appreciate that the extent to which abortion providers themselves are again grappling with ethical challenges i i um i know that some abortion uh, doctors really struggle when it comes to providing abortions um in cases of disability right and this is something that feminists have written about right but we don't think about what it's like to be the abortion provider who has to defend abortion rights on the one hand but has these personal misgivings on the other hand right i I interviewed a physician who um uh was, was actually trying to incur was letting a patient know that she didn't have to um Get an abortion because of an anticipated facial deformity on the, on the part of the, of, of the fetus, right. Or the eventual baby. She, she was talking about different cosmetic surgery options that were available. Right. And, and, and the fact that, um, that, that abortion providers are having these struggles and want to be able to talk to them, uh, talk about them. Um, I think it's something that I hadn't appreciated before. Right. But there's just so much nuance, to be discussed and explored. And once you do kind of the ethnographic research and kind of get into those spaces, so many issues come to light that maybe as philosophers, we don't automatically anticipate.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I guess just to bring it back to this paper for a moment um, in order to kind of wrap up, I think we're getting quite close to our time. There's so much to talk about, it's really interesting. Um, Yeah, regarding COVID-19's ongoing effects and um, access to abortions going forward. Is there anything in particular that you hope that people will um, take away from this paper, having having learned and and now thinking?
1: Um, yes. Well, um, in, in this paper and um, in, in a couple of uh, recent articles as well, I, I really want to draw attention to the fact that um, abortion is a migration challenge in so many ways. Um, and so um, accessing abortion care, protect- particularly if one finds oneself in a so-called abortion desert, right? A lot of the the US South is an abortion desert, right? Um, This is an issue um, that that we have to also evaluate via the lens of migration justice uh, in many ways. And COVID just exacerbated that in, in, in so many ways. So so, so on, on the one hand, I hope that this paper is just more evidence of the vulnerability of um, of rights to abortion care on a global scale. Um, I think to kind of harken back to the issue that we were just talking about, um, it's um, we can, in the case of a pandemic, moral language feminist moral language can easily be abused um, uh, and, and in ways that that harm harm women that harm people with uh, reproductive uh, with gestational capacity um, and so, so I hope that people uh, t- take that home as well and finally j- just just the fact that that again kind of abortion rights touches upon so many different uh, kind of ethical challenges that we've been addressing as bioethicists and, and feminist uh, scholars, um, I think we need to, to broaden the lens by which we, we approach this problem and use as many tools as we have at our disposal uh, to try and really make the case for uh, increased uh, abortion rights in the, in the United States and beyond.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for
0: talking with me, Amy
1: yes thank you for your time i really appreciate it
0: well thank you for your time thank you for joining me <laughs> and thank you so much for listening to this episode of FabGab. you can find amy's paper linked in this episode's notes along with a transcript of our discussion FabGab is hosted by me Catherine mckay and produced by madeline goldberger you can find our other episodes on spotify radio public anchor or wherever you get your podcasts of quality thanks again for listening bye <laughs>